Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Down to Sleep. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it, you can get rewards by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. You get access to two new readings every single week. There are also complete and full audiobooks to download read by me, such as Coraline and The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and many more. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and find it useful. When they had lifted me away from the car, I had seen the deep dent in the tan car's bumper. A very distinct dent that fit the contours of Edward's shoulders, as if he had braced himself against the car with enough force to damage the metal frame. And then there was his family, looking on from a distance, with expressions that ranged from disapproval to fury, but held no hint of concern for their brother's safety. I tried to think of a logical solution that could explain what I had just seen. A solution that excluded the assumption that I was insane. Naturally, the ambulance got a police escort to the county hospital. I felt ridiculous the whole time that they were unloading me. What made it worse was that Edward simply glided through the hospital doors under his own power. I ground my teeth together. They put me in the emergency room, a long room with a line of beds separated by pastel-patterned curtains. A nurse put a pressure cuff on my arm and a thermometer under my tongue. Since no one bothered pulling the curtain around to give me some privacy, I decided I wasn't obligated to wear the stupid-looking neck brace anymore. When the nurse walked away, I quickly unfastened the Velcro and threw it under the bed. There was another flurry of hospital personnel and another stretcher brought to the bed next to me. I recognised Tyler Crowley from my government class, beneath blood-stained bandages wrapped tightly around his head. Tyler looked a hundred times worse than I felt but he was staring anxiously at me. Bella, I'm so sorry. I'm fine, Tyler. You look awful. Are you alright? As we spoke, nurses began unwinding his spoiled bandages, exposing a myriad of shallow slices over his forehead and left cheek. He ignored me. I thought I was going to kill you. I was going too fast, and I hit the ice wrong. He winced as one nurse started dabbing at his face. Don't worry about it. You missed me. How did you get out of the way so fast? You you were there and then you were gone. Um, Edward pulled me out of the way. He looked confused. Who? Edward Cullen. He was standing next to me. I'd always been a terrible liar. I didn't sound convincing at all. Cullen? I didn't see him. Wow. It was all so fast, I guess. Is he okay? I think so. He's here somewhere, but they didn't make him use a stretcher. I knew I wasn't crazy. What had happened? There was no way to explain away what I'd seen. They wheeled me away then, to x-ray my head. I told them there was nothing wrong, and I was right. Not even a concussion. I asked if I could leave, but the nurse said I had to talk to a doctor first. 
So I was trapped in the ER, waiting, harassed by Tyler's constant apologies and promises to make it up to me. No matter how many times I tried to convince him I was fine, he continued to torment himself. Finally, I closed my eyes and ignored him. He kept up a remorseful mumbling. Is she sleeping? A musical voice asked. My eyes flew open. Edward was standing at the foot of my bed, smirking. I glared at him. It wasn't easy. It would have been more natural to ogle. Hey, Edward, I'm really sorry, Tyler began. Edward lifted a hand to stop him. No blood, no foul, he said, flashing his brilliant teeth. He moved to sit on the edge of Tyler's bed facing me. He smirked again. So what's the verdict, he asked. There's nothing wrong with me at all, but they won't let me go, I complained. How come you aren't strapped to a gurney like the rest of us? It's all about who you know, he answered. But don't worry, I came to spring you. Then a doctor walked around the corner, and my mouth fell open. He was young, he was blonde, and he was handsomer than any movie star I'd ever seen. He was pale, though, and tired-looking, with circles under his eyes. From Charlie's description, this had to be Edward's father. So, Miss Swan, Dr. Cullen said in a remarkably appealing voice. How are you feeling? I'm fine, I said, for the last time, I hoped. He walked to the light board on the wall over my head and turned it on. Your x-rays look good, he said. Does your head hurt? Edward said you hit it pretty hard. It's fine, I repeated with a sigh, throwing a quick scowl towards Edward. The doctor's cool fingers probed lightly along my skull. He noticed when I winced. Tender, he asked. Not really. I'd had worse. I heard a chuckle and looked over to see Edward's patronizing smile. My eyes narrowed. Well, your father is in the waiting room. You can go home with him now. But come back if you feel dizzy or have trouble with your eyesight at all. Can't I go back to school? I asked, imagining Charlie trying to be attentive. Maybe you should take it easy today. I glanced at Edward. Does he get to go to school? Someone has to spread the good news that we survived, Edward said smugly. Actually, Dr. Cullen corrected, most of the school seems to be in the waiting room. Oh no, I moaned, covering my face with my hands. Dr. Cullen raised his eyebrows. Do you want to stay? No, no, I insisted, throwing my legs over the side of the bed and hopping down quickly. Too quickly, I staggered. Dr. Cullen caught me. He looked concerned. I'm fine, I assured him again. No need to tell him my balance problems had nothing to do with hitting my head. Take some Tylenol for the pain, he suggested as he steadied me. It doesn't hurt that bad, I insisted. 
It sounds like you were extremely lucky, Dr. Cullen said, smiling as he signed my chart with a flourish. Lucky Edward happened to be standing next to me, I amended, with a hard glance at the subject of my statement. Oh, well, yes, Dr. Cullen agreed, suddenly occupied with the papers in front of him. He looked away at Tyler and walked to the next bed. My intuition flickered. The doctor was in on it. I'm afraid you'll have to stay with us just a little bit longer, he said to Tyler, and began checking his cuts. As soon as the doctor's back was turned, I moved to Edward's side. Can I talk to you for a minute? I hissed under my breath. He took a step back from me, his jaw clenched. Your father is waiting for you, he said through his teeth. I glanced at Dr. Cullen and Tyler. I'd like to speak with you alone, if you don't mind, I pressed. He glared and turned his back and strode down the long room. I nearly had to run to keep up. As soon as we turned the corner into a short hallway, he spun around to face me. What do you want? he asked, sounding annoyed. His eyes were cold. His unfriendliness intimidated me. My words came out with less severity than I had intended. You owe me an explanation, I reminded him. I saved your life. I don't owe you anything. I flinched back from the resentment in his voice. You promised. Bella, you hit your head. You don't know what you're talking about. His tone was cutting. My temper flared now, and I glared defiantly at him. There's nothing wrong with my head. He glared back. What do you want from me, Bella? I want to know the truth, I said. I want to know why I'm lying for you. What do you think happened, he snapped. It came out in a rush. All I know is that you weren't anywhere near me. Tyler didn't see you either, so don't tell me I hit my head too hard. That van was going to crush us both, and it didn't. Your hands left dents in the side of it, and you left a dent in the other car, and you're not hurt at all. The van should have smashed my legs, but you were holding it up. I could hear how crazy it sounded, and I couldn't continue. I was so mad I could feel the tears coming. I tried to force them back by grinding my teeth together. He was staring at me incredulously, but his face was tense, defensive. You think I lifted a van off you? His tone questioned my sanity, but it only made me more suspicious. It was like a perfectly delivered line by a skilled actor. I merely nodded once, jaw tight. Nobody will believe that, you know? His voice held an edge of derision now. I'm not going to tell anybody. I said each word slowly, carefully controlling my anger. Surprise flitted across his face. Then why does it matter? It matters to me, I insisted. I don't like to lie, so there'd better be a good reason why I'm doing it. Can't you just thank me and get over it? Thank you, 
I waited, fuming and expectant. You're not going to let it go, are you? No. In that case, I hope you enjoy a disappointment. We scowled at each other in silence. I was the first to speak, trying to keep myself focused. I was in danger of being distracted by his livid, glorious face. It was like trying to stare down a destroying angel. Why did you even bother? I asked frigidly. He paused, and for a brief moment, his stunning face was unexpectedly vulnerable. I don't know, he whispered. He turned his back on me and walked away. I was so angry, it took me a few minutes until I could move. When I could walk, I made my way slowly to the exit at the end of the hallway. The waiting room was more unpleasant than I'd feared. It seemed like every face I knew in Forks was there, staring at me. Charlie rushed to my side. I put up my hands. There's nothing wrong with me, I assured him sullenly. I was still aggravated, not in the mood for chit-chat. What did the doctor say? Dr. Cullen saw me, he said I was fine, and I could go home. I sighed. Mike and Jessica and Eric were all there, beginning to converge on us. Let's go, I urged. Charlie put one arm behind my back, not quite touching me, but led me to the glass doors of the exit. I waved sheepishly at my friends, hoping to convey that they didn't need to worry anymore. It was a huge relief, the first time I had ever felt that way, to get into the cruiser. We drove in silence. I was so wrapped up in my thoughts that I barely knew Charlie was there. I was positive that Edward's defensive behavior in the hall was a confirmation of the bizarre things I still could hardly believe I'd witnessed. When we got to the house, Charlie finally spoke. Um, you'll need to call Renee. He hung his head guilty. I was appalled. You told Mum? Sorry. I slammed the cruiser's door a little harder than necessary on my way out. My mum was in hysterics, of course. I had to tell her I felt fine at least 30 times before she would calm down. She begged me to come home, forgetting the fact that home was empty at the moment, but her pleas were easier to resist than I would have thought. I was consumed by the mystery that Edward presented, and more than a little obsessed by Edward himself. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I wasn't as eager to escape Forks as I should be, as any normal, sane person would be. I decided I might as well go to bed early that night. Charlie continued to watch me anxiously, and it was getting on my nerves. I stopped on my way to grab three Tylenol from the bathroom. They did help, and as the pain eased, I drifted to sleep. That was the first night I dreamed of Edward Cullen. Chapter 4 Invitations In my dream, it was very dark, and what dim light there was seemed to be radiating from Edward's skin. I couldn't see his face, just his back as he walked away from me, leaving me 
in the blackness. No matter how fast I ran, I couldn't catch up with him. No matter how loud I called, he never turned. Troubled, I woke in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep again for what seemed like a very long time. After that, he was in my dreams nearly every night, but always on the periphery, never within reach. The month that followed the accident was uneasy, tense, and at first embarrassing. To my dismay, I found myself the center of attention for the rest of that week. Tyler Crowley was impossible, following me around, obsessed with making amends to me somehow. I tried to convince him what I wanted more than anything else was for him to forget all about it, especially since nothing had actually happened to me. But he remained insistent. He followed me between classes and sat at our now-crowded lunch table. Mike and Eric were even less friendly toward him than they were to each other, which made me worry I'd gained another unwelcome fan. No one seemed concerned about Edward, though I explained over and over that he was the hero, how he had pulled me out of the way and had nearly been crushed too. I tried to be convincing. Jessica, Mike, Eric, and everyone else always commented that they hadn't even seen him till the van was pulled away. I wondered to myself why no one else had seen him standing so far away before he was suddenly, impossibly, saving my life. With chagrin, I realized the probable cause. No one else was as aware of Edward as I always was. No one else watched him the way that I did. How pitiful. Edward was never surrounded by crowds of curious bystanders eager for his first-hand account. People avoided him as usual. The Cullens and the Hales sat at the same table as always, not eating, talking only among themselves. None of them, especially Edward, glanced my way anymore. When he sat next to me in class, as far from me as the table would allow, he seemed totally unaware of my presence. Only now and then, when his fists would suddenly ball up, skin stretched even whiter over the bones, did I wonder if he wasn't quite as oblivious as he appeared. He wished that he hadn't pulled me from the path of Tyler's van. There was no other conclusion I could come to. I wanted very much to talk to him, and the day after the accident I tried. The last time I'd seen him outside the ER, we'd both been so furious. I still was angry that he wouldn't trust me with the truth, even though I was keeping my part of the bargain flawlessly. But he had, in fact, saved my life, no matter how he had done it. And overnight, the heat of my anger faded into awed gratitude. He was already seated when I got to biology, looking straight ahead. I sat down, expecting him to turn toward me. He showed no sign that he realized I was there. Hello, Edward, I said pleasantly to show him I was going to behave myself. He turned his head a fraction towards me without meeting my gaze, nodded once and looked the other way. And that was the last contact I'd had with him 
though he was there, a foot away from me, every day. I watched him sometimes, unable to stop myself from a distance, though, in the cafeteria or the parking lot. I watched as his golden eyes grew perceptibly darker day by day. But in class, I gave no more notice that he existed than he showed toward me. I was miserable, and the dreams continued. Despite my outright lies, the tenor of my emails alerted Renee to my depression. She called a few times, worried. I tried to convince her it was just the weather that had me down. Mike, at least, was pleased by the obvious coolness between me and my lab partner. I could see he'd been worried that Edward's daring rescue might have impressed me, and he was relieved that it seemed to have the opposite effect. He grew more confident, sitting on the edge of my table to talk before biology class started, ignoring Edward as completely as he ignored us. The snow washed away for good after that one dangerously icy day. Mike was disappointed he'd never gotten to stage his snowball fight, but pleased that the beach trip would soon be possible. The rain continued heavily, and the weeks passed. Jessica made me aware of another event looming on the horizon. She called the first Tuesday of March to ask my permission to invite Mike to the girls' choice spring dance in two weeks. Are you sure you don't mind? You weren't planning to ask him, she persisted, when I told her that I didn't mind in the least. No, Jess, I'm not going, I assured her. Dancing was glaringly outside my range of abilities. It will be really fun. Her attempt to convince me was half-hearted. I suspected that Jessica enjoyed my inexplicable popularity more than my actual company. You have fun with Mike, I encouraged. The next day, I was surprised that Jessica wasn't her usual gushing self in trig and Spanish. She was silent as she walked by my side between classes, and I was afraid to ask her why. If Mike had turned her down, I was the last person she would want to tell. My fears were strengthened during lunch when Jessica sat as far from Mike as possible, chatting animatedly with Eric. Mike was unusually quiet. Mike was still quiet as he walked me to class, the uncomfortable look on his face a bad sign. But he didn't broach the subject until I was in my seat and he was perched on my desk. As always, I was electrically aware of Edward sitting close enough to touch, as distant as if he were merely an invention of my imagination. So, Mike said, looking at the floor. Jessica asked me to the spring dance? That's great. I made my voice bright and enthusiastic. You'll have a lot of fun with Jessica. Well, he floundered as he examined my smile, clearly not happy with my response. I told her I had to think about it. Why would you do that? I let disapproval cover my tone, though I was relieved that he hadn't given her an absolute no. His face was bright red as he looked down again. Pity shook my resolve. I was wondering if... Well, if you might be planning to ask me? I paused for a moment, 
hating the wave of guilt that swept through me, but I saw from the corner of my eye Edward's head tilt reflexively in my direction. Mike, I think you should tell her yes, I said. Did you already ask someone? Did Edward notice how Mike's eyes flickered in his direction? No, I assured him. I'm not going to the dance at all. Why not? Mike demanded. I didn't want to get into the safety hazards that dancing presented, so I quickly made new plans. I'm going to Seattle that Saturday, I explained. I needed to get out of town anyway. It was suddenly the perfect time to go. Can't you go some other weekend? Sorry, no, I said. So you shouldn't make Jess wait any longer. It's rude. Yeah, you're right, he mumbled and turned dejected to walk back to his seat. I closed my eyes and pressed my fingers to my temples, trying to push guilt and sympathy out of my head. Mr. Banner began talking. I sighed and opened my eyes. And Edward was staring at me curiously. That same familiar edge of frustration even more distinct now in his black eyes. I stared back, surprised, expecting him to look quickly away. But instead, he continued to gaze with probing intensity into my eyes. There was no question of me looking away. My hands started to shake. Mr. Cullen, the teacher called, seeking the answer to a question that I hadn't heard. The Krebs cycle, Edward answered, seeming reluctant as he turned to look at Mr. Banner. I looked down at my book as soon as his eyes released me, trying to find my place. Cowardly as ever, I shifted my hair over my right shoulder to hide my face. I couldn't believe the rush of emotion pulsing through me. Just because he had happened to look at me for the first time in a half dozen weeks. I couldn't allow him to have this level of influence over me. It was pathetic. More than pathetic. It was unhealthy. I tried very hard not to be aware of him for the rest of the hour, and since that was impossible, at least not to let him know that I was aware of him. When the bell rang at last, I turned my back to him to gather my things, expecting him to leave immediately as usual. Bella. His voice shouldn't have been so familiar to me, as if I'd known the sound of it all my life, rather than just for a few short weeks. I turned, slowly, unwillingly. I didn't want to feel what I knew I would feel when I looked at his too perfect face. My expression was wary when I finally turned to him. His expression was unreadable. He didn't say anything. What? Are you speaking to me again? I finally asked, an unintentional note of petulance in my voice. His lips twitched, fighting a smile. No, not really, he admitted. I closed my eyes and inhaled slowly through my nose, aware that I was gritting my teeth. He waited. Then what do you want, Edward? I asked, keeping my eyes closed. It was easier to talk to him coherently that way. I'm sorry, 
He sounded sincere. I'm being very rude, I know. But it's better this way, really. I opened my eyes. His face was very serious. I don't know what you mean, I said, my voice guarded. It's better if we're not friends, he explained. Trust me. My eyes narrowed. I'd heard that before. It's too bad you didn't figure that out earlier. I hissed through my teeth. Could have saved yourself all this regret. Regret. The word in my tone obviously caught him off guard. Regret for what? For not just letting that stupid van squish me? He was astonished. He stared at me in disbelief. When he finally spoke, he almost sounded mad. You think I regret saving your life? I know you do, I snapped. You don't know anything. He was definitely mad. I turned my head sharply away from him, clenching my jaw against all the wild accusations that I wanted to hurl at him. I gathered my books together, stood and walked to the door. I meant to sweep dramatically out of the room, but of course I caught the toe of my boot on the door jam and dropped my books. I stood there for a moment, thinking about leaving them. Then I sighed and bent to pick them up. He was there. He'd already stacked them into a pile. He handed them to me, his face hard. Thank you, I said, icily. His eyes narrowed. You're welcome, he retorted. I straightened up swiftly, turned away from him again, and stalked off to Jim without looking back. Jim was brutal. We'd moved on to basketball. My team never passed me the ball, so that was good, but I fell down a lot. Sometimes I took people with me. Today, I was worse than usual because my head was so filled with Edward. I tried to concentrate on my feet, but he kept creeping back into my thoughts just when I really needed my balance. It was a relief, as always, to leave. I almost ran to the truck. There were just so many people that I wanted to avoid. The truck had suffered only minimal damage in the accident. I had to replace the taillights, and if I'd had a real paint job, I would have touched that up. Tyler's parents had to sell their van for parts. I almost had a stroke when I rounded the corner and saw a tall, dark figure leaning against the side of my truck. Then I realized it was just Eric. I started walking again. Hey, Eric, I called. Hi, Bella. What's up? I said as I was unlocking the door. I wasn't paying attention to the uncomfortable edge in his voice. So his next words took me by surprise. Uh, I was just wondering if you would go to the spring dance with me. His voice broke on the last word. I thought it was girl's choice, I said, too startled to be diplomatic. Well, yeah, he admitted, shamefaced. I recovered my composure and tried to make my smile warm. Thank you for asking me, but I'm going to be in Seattle that day. Oh, he said. Well, maybe next time. Sure, 
I agreed and bit my lip. I wouldn't want him to take that too literally. He slouched off back toward the school. I heard a low chuckle. Edward was walking past the front of my truck, looking straight forward, his lips pressed together. I yanked the door open and jumped inside, slamming it loudly behind me. I revved the engine deafeningly and reversed out into the aisle. Edward was in his car already, two spaces down, sliding out smoothly in front of me, cutting me off. He stopped there to wait for his family. I could see the four of them walking this way, but still by the cafeteria. I considered taking out the rear of his shiny Volvo, but there were too many witnesses. I looked in my rearview mirror. A line was beginning to form. Directly behind me, Tyler Crowley was in his recently acquired used Sentra, waving. I was too aggravated to acknowledge him. While I was sitting there, looking everywhere but at the car in front of me, I heard a knock on my passenger side window. I looked over. It was Tyler. I glanced back in my rearview mirror, confused. His car was still running, the door left open. I leaned across the cab to crank the window down. It was stiff. I got it halfway down and gave up. I'm sorry, Tyler. I'm stuck behind Cullen. I was annoyed. Obviously, the hold-up wasn't my fault. Oh, I know. I just wanted to ask you something while we're trapped here. He grinned. This could not be happening. Will you ask me to the spring dance? He continued. I'm not going to be in town, Tyler. My voice sounded a little sharp. I had to remember that it wasn't his fault that Mike and Eric had already used up my quota of patience for the day. Yeah, Mike said that, he admitted. Then why... He shrugged. I was hoping you were just letting him down easy. Okay, it was completely his fault. Sorry, Tyler, I said, working to hide my irritation. I really am going out of town. That's cool. We still have prom. Before I could respond, he was walking back to his car. I could feel the shock on my face. I looked forward to see Alice, Rosalie, Emmett, and Jasper all sliding into the Volvo. In his rearview mirror, Edward's eyes were on me. He was unquestionably shaking with laughter, as if he had heard every word that Tyler had said. My foot itched towards the gas pedal. One little bump wouldn't hurt any of them. Just that glossy silver paint job. I revved the engine. But they were all in, and Edward was speeding away. I drove home slowly, carefully muttering to myself the whole way. When I got home, I decided to make chicken enchiladas for dinner. It was a long process, and it would keep me busy. While I was simmering the onions and chilies, the phone rang. I was almost afraid to answer it, but it might be Charlie or my mum. It was Jessica, and she was jubilant. Mike had caught her after school to accept her invitation. I celebrated with her briefly while I stirred. She had to go. 
She wanted to call Angela and Lauren to tell them. I suggested, with casual innocence, that maybe Angela, the shy girl who had biology with me, could ask Eric. And Lauren, a standoffish girl who had always ignored me at the lunch table, could ask Tyler. I'd heard he was still available. Jess thought that was a great idea. Now that she was sure of Mike, she actually sounded sincere when she said she wished I would go to the dance. I gave her my Seattle excuse. After I hung up, I tried to concentrate on dinner, dicing the chicken especially. I didn't want to take another trip to the emergency room, but my head was spinning, trying to analyze every word that Edward had spoken today. What did he mean that it was better if we weren't friends? My stomach twisted as I realized what he must have meant. He must see how absorbed I was by him. He must not want to lead me on, so we couldn't even be friends, because he wasn't interested in me at all. Of course he wasn't interested in me, I thought angrily, my eyes stinging, a delayed reaction to the onions. I wasn't interesting, and he was interesting and brilliant and mysterious, and perfect, and beautiful, possibly able to lift full-sized vans with one hand. Well, that was fine. I could leave him alone. I would leave him alone. I would get through my self-imposed sentence here in purgatory, and hopefully some school in the southwest or possibly Hawaii would offer me a scholarship. I focused my thoughts on sunny beaches, palm trees, as I finished the enchiladas and put them in the oven. Charlie seemed suspicious when he came home and smelled green peppers. I couldn't blame him. The closest edible Mexican food was probably in Southern California. But he was a cop, even if just a small town cop. So he was brave enough to take the first bite. He seemed to like it. It was fun to watch as he slowly began trusting me in the kitchen. Dad, I asked when he was almost done. Yeah, Bella? Um, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to Seattle for the day a week from Saturday, if that's okay. I didn't want to ask permission. It set a bad precedent, but I felt rude, so I tacked it on at the end. Why? He sounded surprised, as if he were unable to imagine something that Forks couldn't offer. Well, I wanted to get a few books. The library here is pretty limited. Maybe look at some clothes? I had more money than I was used to having since, thanks to Charlie, I hadn't had to pay for a car. Not that the truck didn't cost me quite a bit in the gas department. That truck probably doesn't get very good gas mileage, he said, echoing my thoughts. I know. I'll stop in Montesano and Olympia, and Tacoma if I have to. Are you going all by yourself? he asked, and I couldn't tell if he was suspicious that I had a secret boyfriend or just worried about car trouble. Yes. Seattle's a big city. You could get lost, he fretted. Dad, Phoenix is five times the size of Seattle, and I can read a map. Don't worry about it. Do you want me to come with you? I 
tried to be crafty as I hid my horror. That's alright, Dad. I'll probably just be in dressing rooms all day. Very boring. Oh. Okay. The thought of sitting in women's clothing stores for any period of time immediately put him off. Thanks. I smiled at him. Will you be back in time for the dance? Only in a town this small would a father know when the high school dances were. No, I don't dance, Dad. He of all people should understand that. I didn't get my balance problems from my mother. He did understand. Oh, that's right, he realized. The next morning, when I pulled into the parking lot, I deliberately parked as far as possible from the silver Volvo. I didn't want to put myself in the path of too much temptation and end up owing him a new car. Getting out of the cab, I fumbled with my key. It fell into a puddle at my feet. As I bent to get it, a white hand flashed out and grabbed it before I could. I jerked upright. Edward Cullen was right next to me, leaning casually against my truck. How do you do that? I asked in amazed irritation. Do what? He held my key out as he spoke. As I reached for it, he dropped it into my palm. Appear out of thin air? Bella, it's not my fault if you are exceptionally unobservant. His voice was quiet as usual. Velvet. Muted. I scowled at his perfect face. His eyes were light again today. A deep golden honey color. Then I had to look down to reassemble my now tangled thoughts. Why the traffic jam last night? I demanded, still looking away. Thought you were supposed to be pretending I don't exist, not irritating me to death. That was for Tyler's sake, not mine. I had to give him his chance. He snickered. You? I gasped. I couldn't think of a bad enough word. It felt like the heat of my anger should physically burn him, but he only seemed more amused. And I'm not pretending that you don't exist, he continued. So you are trying to irritate me to death, since Tyler's van didn't do the job? Anger flashed in his tawny eyes, his lips pressed into a hard line, all signs of humor gone. Bella, you are utterly absurd, he said. His low voice was cold. My palms tingled. I wanted so badly to hit something. I was surprised at myself. I was usually a non-violent person. I turned my back and started to walk away. Wait, he called. I kept walking, sloshing angrily through the rain, but he was next to me, easily keeping pace. I'm sorry, but that was rude, he said as we walked. I ignored him. I'm not saying it isn't true, he continued, but it was rude to say it anyway. Why won't you leave me alone, I grumbled. I wanted to ask you something, but you sidetracked me. He seemed to have recovered his good humor. 
Do you have a multiple personality disorder? I asked him severely. You're doing it again. I sighed. Fine then. What do you want to ask? I was wondering if a week from Saturday, you know, the day of the spring dance, are you trying to be funny? I interrupted him, wheeling toward him. My face got drenched as I looked up at his expression. His eyes were wickedly amused. Will you please allow me to finish? I bit my lip and clasped my hands together, interlocking my fingers so I couldn't do anything rash. I heard you say you were going to Seattle that day. I was wondering if you wanted a ride. That was unexpected. What? I wasn't sure what he was getting at. Do you want a ride to Seattle? With who? I asked, mystified. Myself. Obviously. He enunciated every syllable as if he were talking to someone mentally handicapped. I was still stunned. Why? Well, I was planning to go to Seattle in the next few weeks, and to be honest, I'm not sure if your truck can make it. My truck works just fine, thank you very much for your concern. I started to walk again, but I was too surprised to maintain the same level of anger. But can your truck make it there on one tank of gas? He matched my pace again. I don't see how any of that is your business. Stupid shiny Volvo owner. The wasting of finite resources is everyone's business. Honestly, Edward, I felt a thrill go through me as I said his name, and I hated it. I can't keep up with you. I, I thought you didn't want to be my friend. I said it would be better if we weren't friends. Not that I didn't want to be. Oh, thanks. Now that's all cleared up. Heavy sarcasm. I realized I had stopped walking again. We were under the shelter of the cafeteria roof now, so I could more easily look at his face. Which certainly didn't help my clarity of thought. It would be more... Prudent for you not to be my friend, he explained. But I'm tired of trying to stay away from you, Bella. His eyes were gloriously intense as he uttered that last sentence, his voice smoldering. I couldn't remember how to breathe. Will you go with me to Seattle? He asked me, still intense. I couldn't speak yet, so I just nodded. He smiled briefly, and then his face became serious. You really should stay away from me, he warned. I'll see you in class. He turned abruptly and walked back the way that we had come. Chapter 5 Blood Type I made my way to English in a daze. I didn't even realize when I first walked in that class had already started. Thank you for joining us, Miss Swan, Mr. Mason said in a disparaging tone. I flushed and hurried to my seat. 
It wasn't till class ended that I realised Mike wasn't sitting in his usual seat next to me. I felt a twinge of guilt, but he and Eric both met me at the door as usual, so I figured I wasn't totally unforgiven. Mike seemed to become more himself as we walked, gaining enthusiasm as he talked about the weather report for the weekend. The rain was supposed to take a minor break, and so maybe his beach trip would be possible. I tried to sound eager to make up for disappointing him yesterday. It was hard. Rain or no rain, it would still only be in the high 40s if we were lucky. The rest of the morning passed in a blur. It was difficult to believe that I hadn't just imagined what Edward had said, the way his eyes had looked. Maybe it was just a very convincing dream that I'd confused with reality. That seemed more probable than that I really appealed to him on any level. So I was impatient and frightened as Jessica and I entered the cafeteria. I wanted to see his face, to see if he had gone back to the cold and different person I'd known for the last several weeks. Or if by some miracle I had really heard what I thought I'd heard this morning. Jessica babbled on and on about her dance plans. Lauren and Angela had asked the other boys, and they were all going together, completely unaware of my inattention. Disappointment flooded through me as my eyes unerringly focused on his table. The other four were there, but he was absent. Had he gone home? I followed the still-babbling Jessica through the line, crushed. I had lost my appetite. I bought nothing but a bottle of lemonade. I just wanted to sit down and sulk. Edward Cullen is staring at you again, Jessica said, finally breaking through my abstraction with his name. I wonder why he's sitting alone today. My head snapped up. I followed her gaze to see Edward, smiling crookedly, staring at me from an empty table across the cafeteria from where he usually sat. Once he'd caught my eye, he raised one hand and motioned with his index finger for me to join him. As I stared in disbelief, he winked. Does he mean you? Jessica asked with insulting astonishment in her voice. Maybe he needs help with his biology homework, I muttered, for her benefit. Um, I'd better go see what he wants. I could feel her staring after me as I walked away. When I reached his table, I stood behind the chair across from him, unsure. Why don't you sit with me today, he asked, smiling. I sat down automatically, watching him with caution. He was still smiling. It was hard to believe that someone so beautiful could be real. I was afraid he might disappear in a sudden puff of smoke and I would wake up. He seemed to be waiting for me to say something. This is different, I finally managed. Well, he paused and then the rest of the words followed in a rush. I decided as long as I was going to hell, I might as well do it thoroughly. I waited for him to say something that made sense. The seconds ticked by. You know... I don't have any idea what you mean, I eventually pointed out. I know, 
He smiled again, and then he changed the subject. I think your friends are angry with me for stealing you. They'll survive. I could feel their stares boring into my back. I may not give you back, though, he said, with a wicked glint in his eyes. I gulped. He laughed. You look worried. No, I said, but ridiculously my voice broke. Surprised, actually. What brought all this on? I told you. I got tired of trying to stay away from you, so I'm giving up. He was still smiling, but his ochre eyes were serious. Giving up? I repeated in confusion. Yes, giving up trying to be good. I'm just going to do what I want now. Let the chips fall where they may. His smile faded as he explained, and a hard edge crept into his voice. You lost me again. The breathtaking, crooked smile reappeared. I always say too much when I'm talking to you. That's one of the problems. Don't worry, I don't understand any of it, I said wryly. I'm counting on that. So, in plain English, are we friends now? Friends? He mused, dubious. Or not, I muttered. He grinned. Well, we can try, I suppose, but I'm warning you now that I'm not a good friend for you. Behind his smile, the warning was real. You say that a lot, I noted, trying to ignore the sudden trembling in my stomach and keep my voice even. Yes, because you're not listening to me. I'm still waiting for you to believe it. If you're smart, you'll avoid me. I think you've made your opinion on the subject of my intellect clear, too. My eyes narrowed. He smiled apologetically. So, as long as I'm being not smart, we'll try to be friends? I struggled to sum up the confusing exchange. That sounds about right. I looked down at my hands wrapped around the lemonade bottle, not sure what to do. What are you thinking? He asked curiously. I looked up into his deep gold eyes, became befuddled, and as usual, blurted out the truth. I'm trying to figure out what you are. His jaw tightened, but he kept his smile in place with some effort. Are you having any luck with that? He asked in an offhand tone. Not too much, I admitted. He chuckled. What are your theories? I blushed. I had been vacillating during the last month between Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker. There was no way I was going to own up to that. Won't you tell me, he asked, tilting his head to one side with a shockingly tempting smile. I shook my head. Too embarrassing. That's really frustrating, you know, he complained. No, I disagreed quickly, my eyes narrowing can't imagine why that would be frustrating at all. Just because someone refuses to tell you what they're thinking, 
even if all the while they're making cryptic little remarks, specifically designed to keep you up at night wondering what they could possibly mean. Now why would that be frustrating? He grimaced. Or better, I continued, the pent-up annoyance flowing freely now. Say that person also did a wide range of bizarre things, from saving your life under impossible circumstances one day to treating you like a pariah the next. And he never explained any of that, either, even after he promised. That also would be very non-frustrating. You've got a bit of a temper, don't you? I don't like double standards. We stared at each other, unsmiling. He glanced over my shoulder and then, unexpectedly, he snickered. What? Your boyfriend seems to think I'm being unpleasant to you. He's debating whether or not to come break up our fight. He snickered again. I don't know who you're talking about, I said frostily, but I'm sure you're wrong anyway. I'm not. I told you. Most people are easy to read. Except me, of course. Yes. Except for you. His mood shifted suddenly, his eyes turned brooding. I wonder why that is. I had to look away from the intensity of his stare. I concentrated on unscrewing the lid of my lemonade. I took a swig, staring at the table without seeing it. Aren't you hungry? he asked, distracted. No. I didn't feel like mentioning that my stomach was already full of butterflies. You? I looked at the empty table in front of him. No. I'm not hungry. I didn't understand his expression. It looked like he was enjoying some private joke. Can you do me a favor? I asked after a second of hesitation. He was suddenly wary. That depends on what you want. It's not much, I assured him. He waited, guarded but curious. I just wondered if you could warn me beforehand the next time you decide to ignore me for my own good, just so I'm prepared. I looked at the lemonade bottle as I spoke, tracing the circle of the opening with my pinky finger. That sounds fair. He was pressing his lips together to keep from laughing when I looked up. Thanks. Then, can I have one answer in return, he demanded. One. Tell me one theory. Whoops. Not that one. You didn't qualify, you just promised one answer, he reminded me. And you've broken promises yourself, I reminded him back. Just one theory. I won't laugh. Yes, you will. I was positive about that. He looked down and then glanced up at me through his long black lashes, his ochre eyes scorching. Please, he breathed, leaning towards me. I blinked, my mind going blank. Holy crow, how did he do that? Uh, what? I asked, dazed. Please, tell me just one little theory. His eyes still smoldered at me. Um, well, bitten by a radioactive spider? 
Was he a hypnotist too, or was I just a hopeless pushover? That's not very creative, he scoffed. I'm sorry, that's all I've got. I was miffed. You're not even close, he teased. No spiders? Nope. And no radioactivity? None. Dang. I sighed. Kryptonite doesn't bother me either. He chuckled. You're not supposed to laugh, remember? He struggled to compose his face. I'll figure it out eventually, I warned him. I wish you wouldn't try. He was serious again. Because... What if I'm not a superhero? What if I'm the bad guy? He smiled playfully, but his eyes were impenetrable. Oh, I said as several things he'd hinted fell suddenly into place. I see. Do you? His face was abruptly severe, as if he were afraid he'd accidentally said too much. You're dangerous. I guessed, my pulse quickening as I intuitively realized the truth of my own words. He was dangerous. He'd been trying to tell me that all along. He just looked at me, eyes full of some emotion I couldn't comprehend. But not bad, I whispered, shaking my head. No, I, I don't believe that you're bad. You're wrong. His voice was... Almost inaudible, he looked down, stealing my bottle lid and spinning it on its side between his fingers. I stared at him, wondering why I didn't feel afraid. He meant what he was saying, that was obvious, but I just felt anxious, on edge, and more than anything else, fascinated, the same way that I always felt when I was near him. The silence lasted until I noticed that the cafeteria was almost empty. I jumped to my feet. We're going to be late. I'm not going to class today, he said, twirling the lid so fast it was just a blur. Why not? It's healthy to ditch class now and then. He smiled up at me, but his eyes were still troubled. Well, I'm going, I told him. I was far too big of a coward to risk getting caught. He turned his attention back to his makeshift top. I'll see you later then. I hesitated, torn, but then the first bell sent me hurrying out the door. With a last glance, confirming that he hadn't moved a centimeter. As I half ran to class, my head was spinning faster than the bottle cap. So few questions had been answered in comparison to how many new questions had been raised. At least the rain had stopped. I was lucky. Mr. Banner wasn't in the room yet when I arrived. I settled quickly into my seat, aware that both Mike and Angela were staring at me. Mike looked resentful. Angela looked surprised and slightly awed. Mr. Banner came in the room then calling the class to order. He was juggling a few small cardboard boxes in his arms. He put them down on Mike's table, telling him to start passing them around the class. 
Okay, guys, I want you all to take one piece from each box, he said, as he produced a pair of rubber gloves from the pocket of his lab jacket and pulled them on. The sharp sound as the gloves snapped into place against his wrists seemed ominous to me. The first should be an indicator card, he went on, grabbing a white card with four squares marked on it and displaying it. The second is a four-pronged applicator. He held up something that looked like a nearly toothless hairpick. And the third is a sterile micro-lancet. He held up a small piece of blue plastic and split it open. The barb was invisible from this distance, but my stomach flipped. I'll be coming around with a dropper of water to prepare your cards, so please don't start until I get to you. He began at Mike's table again, carefully putting one drop of water in each of the four squares. I want you to carefully prick your fingers with the lancet. He grabbed Mike's hand and jabbed the spike into the tip of Mike's middle finger. Oh no. Clammy moisture broke out across my forehead. Put a small drop of blood on each of the prongs. He demonstrated, squeezing Mike's finger until the blood flowed. I swallowed convulsively, my stomach heaving. And then apply it to the card, he finished, holding up the dripping red card for us to see. I closed my eyes, trying to hear through the ringing in my ears. The Red Cross is having a blood drive in Port Angeles next weekend, so I thought you should all know your blood type. He sounded proud of himself. Those of you who aren't 18 yet will need parents' permission. I have slips at my desk. He continued through the room with his water drops. I put my cheek against the cool black tabletop and tried to hold on to my consciousness. All around me I could hear squeals, complaints, and giggles as my classmates skewered their fingers. I breathed slowly in and out through my mouth. Bella, are you alright? Mr. Banner asked. His voice was close to my head, and it sounded alarmed. I already know my blood type, Mr. Banner. I said in a weak voice I was afraid to raise my head. Are you feeling faint? Yes, sir, I muttered, internally kicking myself for not ditching when I had the chance. Can someone take Bella to the nurse, please, he called. I didn't have to look up to know that it would be Mike who volunteered. Can you walk? Mr. Banner asked. Yes, I whispered. Just let me get out of here, I thought. I'll crawl. Mike seemed eager as he put his arm around my waist and pulled my arm over his shoulder. I leaned against him heavily on the way out of the classroom. Mike towed me slowly across campus. When we were around the edge of the cafeteria, out of sight of building four in case Mr. Banner was watching, I stopped. Just let me sit for a minute, please, I begged. He helped me sit on the edge of the walk. Whatever you do, keep your hand in your pocket, I warned. I was still so dizzy. I slumped over on my side, putting my cheek against the freezing, damp cement of the sidewalk, closing my eyes. That seemed to help a little. Wow, you're, you're green, Bella, Mike said nervously. Bella? A different voice called from the distance. 
No, please let me be imagining that horribly familiar voice. What's wrong? Is she hurt? His voice was closer now and he sounded upset. I wasn't imagining it. I squeezed my eyes shut, hoping to die. Or at the very least, not to throw up. Mike seemed stressed. I think she's fainted. I don't know what happened. She didn't even stick her finger. Bella. Edward's voice was right beside me. Believe now. Can you hear me? No, I groaned. Go away. He chuckled. I was taking her to the nurse, Mike explained in a defensive tone. But she wouldn't go any further. I'll take her, Edward said. I could hear the smile still in his voice. You can go back to class. No, Mike protested. I I'm supposed to do it. Suddenly, the sidewalk disappeared from beneath me. My eyes flew open in shock. Edward had scooped me up in his arms as easily as if I weighed ten pounds instead of a hundred and ten. Put me down. Please, please let me not vomit on him. He was walking before I was finished talking. Hey, Mike called already ten paces behind us. Edward ignored him. You look awful, he told me, grinning. Put me back on the sidewalk, I moaned. The rocking movement of his walk was not helping. He held me away from his body gingerly, supporting all of my weight with just his arms. It didn't seem to bother him. Sir, you faint at the sight of blood, he asked. This seemed to entertain him. I didn't answer. I closed my eyes again and fought the nausea with all my strength, clamping my lips together. And not even your own blood, he continued, enjoying himself. I don't know how he opened the door while carrying me, but it was suddenly warm, so I knew we were inside. Oh my, I heard a female voice gasp. She fainted in biology, Edward explained. I opened my eyes. I was in the office, and Edward was striding past the front counter toward the nurse's door. Miss Cope, the red-headed front office receptionist, ran ahead of him to hold it open. The grandmotherly nurse looked up from a novel, astonished, as Edward swung me into the room and placed me gently on the crackly paper that covers those brown vinyl mattresses on the one cot. He moved to stand against the wall as far across the narrow room as possible. His eyes were bright, excited. She's just a little faint, he reassured the startled nurse. They're blood typing in biology. The nurse nodded sagely. There's always one. He muffled a snicker. Just lie down for a minute, honey. It'll pass. I know. I sighed. The nausea was already fading. Does this happen a lot? She asked. Sometimes, I admitted. Edward coughed to hide another laugh. You can go back to class now, she told him. I'm supposed to stay with her. He said this with such assured authority that, even though she pursed her lips, the nurse didn't argue it further. I'll go get you some ice for your forehead, dear, she said to me, and bustled out of the room. You were right, 
I moaned, letting my eyes close. I usually am, but about what in particular this time? Ditching is healthy. I practiced breathing evenly. You scared me for a minute there, he admitted, after a pause. His tone made it sound like he was confessing a humiliating weakness. I thought Newton was dragging your dead body off to bury it in the woods. Huh. I still had my eyes closed, but I was feeling more normal every minute. Honestly, I've seen corpses with better color. I was concerned that I might have to avenge your murder. Poor Mike. I'll bet he's mad. He absolutely loathes me, Edward said cheerfully. You can't know that, I argued. Then I wondered suddenly if he could. I saw his face. I could tell. How did you see me? I thought you were ditching. I was almost fine now, though the queasiness would probably pass faster if I'd eaten something for lunch. On the other hand, maybe I was lucky that my stomach was empty. I was in my car, listening to a CD. Such a normal response, it surprised me. I heard the door open and opened my eyes to see the nurse with a cold compress in her hand. Here you go, dear. She laid it across my forehead. You're looking better, she added. I think I'm fine, I said, sitting up. Just a little ringing in my ears, there was no spinning. The mint green walls stayed where they should. I could see she was about to make me lie back down, but the door opened just then and Miss Cope stuck her head in. You've got another one, she warned. I hopped down to free up the cot for the next invalid. I handed the compress back to the nurse. Here, I, I don't need this. And then Mike staggered through the door, now supporting a sallow-looking Lee Stevens, another boy in our biology class. Edward and I drew back against the wall to give them room. Oh no. Edward muttered. Go out to the office, Bella. I looked up at him, bewildered. Trust me, go. I spun and caught the door before it closed, darting out of the infirmary. I could feel Edward right behind me. You actually listened to me. He was stunned. I smelled the blood, I said, wrinkling my nose. Lee wasn't sick from watching other people like me. People can't smell blood, he contradicted. Well, I can. That's what makes me sick. It smells like rust and salt. He was staring at me with an unfathomable expression. What? I asked. It's nothing. Mike came through the door then, glancing from me to Edward. The look that he gave Edward confirmed what Edward had said about loathing. He looked back at me, his eyes glum. You look better, he accused. Just keep your hands in your pocket, I warned him again. It's not bleeding anymore, he muttered. Are you going back to class? Are you kidding? I'd just have to turn around and come back. Yeah, I guess. So are you going this weekend? To the beach? While he spoke, he flashed another glare towards Edward who was standing against the cluttered counter, 
motionless as a sculpture, staring off into space. I tried to sound as friendly as possible. Sure, I said I was in. We're meeting at my dad's store at ten. His eyes flickered to Edward again, wondering if he was giving too much information. His body language made it clear that it wasn't an open invitation. I'll be there, I promised. I'll see you in gym then, he said, moving uncertainly towards the door. See you, I replied. He looked at me once more, his round face slightly pouting, and then as he walked slowly through the door, his shoulders slumped. A swell of sympathy washed over me. I pondered seeing his disappointed face again in the gym. Jim, I groaned. I can take care of that. I hadn't noticed Edward moving to my side, but he spoke now in my ear. Go sit down and look pale, he muttered. That wasn't a challenge. I was always pale, and my recent swoon had left me a light sheen of sweat on my face. I sat in one of the creaky folding chairs and rested my head against the wall with my eyes closed. Fainting spells always exhausted me. I heard Edward speaking softly at the counter. Miss Cope. Yes? I hadn't heard her return to her desk. Bella has Jim next hour and I don't think she feels well enough. Actually, I was thinking I should take her home now. Do you think you could excuse her from class? His voice was like melting honey. I could imagine how much more overwhelming his eyes would be. Do you need to be excused too, Edward? Miss Cope fluttered. Why couldn't I do that? No, I have Mrs. Goff. She won't mind. Okay, it's all taken care of. You feel better, Bella? She called out to me. I nodded weakly, hamming it up just a bit. Can you walk, or do you want me to carry you again? With his back to the receptionist, his expression became sarcastic. I'll walk. I stood carefully, and I was still fine. He held the door for me, his smile polite, but his eyes mocking. I walked out into the cold, fine mist that had just begun to fall. It felt nice. The first time I'd enjoyed the constant moisture falling out of the sky as it washed my face clean of the sticky perspiration. Thanks, I said as he followed me out. It's almost worth getting sick to miss Jim. Anytime. He was staring straight forward, squinting into the rain. So, are you going? This Saturday, I mean? I was hoping he would, though it seemed unlikely. I couldn't picture him loading up to carpool with the rest of the kids from school. He didn't belong in the same world. But just hoping that he might gave me the first twinge of enthusiasm I'd felt for the outing. Where are you all going, exactly? He was still looking ahead, expressionless. Down to La Push, to First Beach. I studied his face, trying to read it. His eyes seemed to narrow infinitesimally. He glanced down at me from the corner of his eye, smiling wryly. I really don't think I was invited. 
I sighed. I just invited you. Let's you and I not push poor Mike any further this week. We don't want him to snap. His eyes danced. He was enjoying the idea more than he should. Mike Schmike, I muttered, preoccupied by the way he'd said, You and I, I liked it more than I should. We were near the parking lot now. I veered left toward my truck. Something caught my jacket, yanking me back. Where do you think you're going? he asked, outraged. He was gripping a fistful of my jacket in one hand. I was confused. I'm going home. Didn't you hear me promise to take you safely home? You think I'm going to let you drive in your condition? His voice was still indignant. What condition? And what about my truck? I complained. I'll have Alice drop it off after school. He was towing me towards his car now, pulling me by my jacket. It was all I could do to keep from falling backward. He'd probably just drag me along anyway if I did. Let go, I insisted. He ignored me. I staggered along sideways across the wet sidewalk until we reached the Volvo. Then he finally freed me. I stumbled against the passenger door. You are so pushy, I grumbled. It's open, was all he responded. He got in the driver's side. I am perfectly capable of driving myself home. I stood by the car, fuming. It was raining, harder now. I'd never put my hood back up, so my hair was dripping down my back. He lowered the automatic window and leaned towards me across the seat. Get in, Bella. I didn't answer. I was mentally calculating my chances of reaching the truck before he could catch me. I had to admit, they weren't good. I'll just drag you back, he threatened, guessing my plan. I tried to maintain what dignity I could as I got into his car. I wasn't very successful. I looked like a half-drowned cat and my boots squeaked. This is completely unnecessary, I said stiffly. He didn't answer. He fiddled with the controls, turning the heater up and the music down. As he pulled out of the parking lot, I was preparing to give him the silent treatment. My face was in full pout mode. But then I recognized the music playing. My curiosity got the better of my intentions. Claire Delune? I asked, surprised. You know Debussy? He sounded surprised too. Not well, I admitted. My mother plays a lot of classical music around the house. I only know my favorites. It's one of my favorites, too. He stared out through the rain, lost in thought. I listened to the music, relaxing against the light gray leather seat. It was impossible not to respond to the familiar soothing melody. The rain blurred everything outside the window into gray and green smudges. I began to realize we were driving very fast. The car moved so steadily, so evenly though, I didn't feel the speed. Only the town flashing by gave it away. What's your mother like? He asks me suddenly. I glanced over to see him studying me with curious eyes. She looks a lot like me, but 
she's prettier, I said. He raised his eyebrows. I have too much Charlie in me. She's more outgoing than I am, and braver. She's irresponsible, slightly eccentric, and she's a very unpredictable cook. She's my best friend. I stopped. Talking about her was making me depressed. How old are you, Bella? His voice sounded frustrated for some reason I couldn't imagine. He'd stopped the car, and I realized we were at Charlie's house already. The rain was so heavy, I could barely see the house at all. It was like the car was submerged under a river. I'm 17, I responded, a little confused. You don't seem 17. His tone was reproachful and made me laugh. What? He asked, curious again. My mum always says I was born 35 years old, that I get more middle-aged every year. I laughed and then sighed. Well, someone has to be the adult. I paused for a second. You don't seem much like a junior in high school yourself, I noted. He made a face and changed the subject. So, why did your mother marry Phil? I was surprised he would remember the name. I'd mentioned it just once, almost two months ago. It took me a moment to answer. My mother, she's very young for her age. I think Phil makes her feel even younger. At any rate, she's crazy about him. I shook my head. The attraction was a mystery to me. Do you approve? He asked. Does it matter? I counted. I want her to be happy. And he is who she wants. That's very generous. I wonder. He mused. What? Would she extend the same courtesy to you, do you think? No matter who your choice was. He was suddenly intent, his eyes searching mine. Uh, I think so, I stuttered. But she's the parent, after all, it's a little bit different. No one too scary, then, he teased. I grinned in response. What do you mean by scary? Multiple facial piercings and extensive tattoos. That's one definition, I suppose. What's your definition? But he ignored my question and asked me another. Do you think that I could be scary? He raised one eyebrow. The faint trace of a smile lightened his face. I thought for a moment, wondering whether the truth or a lie would go over better. I decided to go with the truth. Hmm, I think you could be, if you wanted to. Are you frightened of me now? The smile vanished and his heavenly face was suddenly serious. No, but I answered too quickly. The smile returned. So now are you going to tell me about your family? I asked to distract him. It's got to be a much more interesting story than mine. He was instantly cautious. What do you want to know? The Cullens adopted you? I verified. Yes. I hesitated for a moment. 
What happened to your parents? They died many years ago. His tone was matter-of-fact. I'm sorry, I mumbled. I don't really remember them that clearly. Carlisle and Esme have been my parents for a long time now. And you love them. It wasn't a question. It was obvious in the way that he spoke of them. Yes, he smiled. I couldn't imagine two better people. You're very lucky. I know I am. And your brother and sister? He glanced at the clock on the dashboard. My brother and sister, and Jasper and Rosalie for that matter, are going to be quite upset if they have to stand in the rain waiting for me. Oh, sorry, I guess you have to go. I didn't want to get out of the car. And you probably want your truck back before Chief Swan gets home, so you don't have to tell him about the biology incident. He grinned at me. I'm sure he's already heard. There are no secrets in Forks, I sighed. He laughed. There was an edge to his laughter. Have fun at the beach. Good weather for sunbathing. He glanced out at the sheeting rain. Won't I see you tomorrow? No. Emmett and I are starting the weekend early. What are you going to do? A friend could ask that, right? I hoped the disappointment wasn't too apparent in my voice. We're going to be hiking in the Goat Rocks Wilderness, just south of Rainier. I remember Charlie had said the Cullens went camping frequently. Oh, well, have fun. I tried to sound enthusiastic. I don't think I fooled him, though. A smile was playing around the edges of his lips. Will you do something for me this weekend? He turned to look me straight in the face, utilizing the full power of his burning gold eyes. I nodded helplessly. Don't be offended, but you seem to be one of those people who just attract accidents like a magnet, sir. Try not to fall into the ocean or get run over or anything, all right? He smiled crookedly. The helplessness had faded as he spoke. I glared at him. I'll see what I can do. I snapped as I jumped out into the rain. I slammed the door behind me with excessive force. He was still smiling as he drove away. Chapter 6 Scary Stories As I sat in my room, trying to concentrate on the third act of Macbeth, I was really listening for my truck. I would have thought, even over the pounding rain, I could have heard the engines roar. But when I went to peek out the curtain again, it was suddenly there. I wasn't looking forward to Friday and it more than lived up to my non-expectations. Of course, there were the fainting comments. Jessica especially seemed to get a kick out of that story. Luckily, Mike had kept his mouth shut, and no one seemed to know about Edward's involvement. She did have a lot of questions about lunch, though. So, what did Edward Cullen want yesterday? Jessica asked in trig. I don't know, I answered truthfully. He never really got to the point. You looked kind of mad. She fished. Did I? I kept my expression blank. You know, I've never seen him sit with anyone but his family before. That was weird. Weird, I agreed. She seemed annoyed. She flipped her dark curls impatiently. 
I guess she had been hoping to hear something that would make a good story for her to pass on. The worst part about Friday was that even though I knew he wasn't going to be there, I still hoped. When I walked into the cafeteria with Jessica and Mike, I couldn't keep from looking at his table, where Rosalie, Alice and Jasper sat talking, heads close together. And I couldn't stop the gloom that engulfed me as I realized I didn't know how long I would have to wait before I saw him again. At my usual table, everyone was full of our plans for the next day. Mike was animated again, putting a great deal of trust in the local weatherman who promised sun tomorrow. I'd have to see that before I believed it. But it was warmer today, almost 60. Maybe the outing wouldn't be completely miserable. I intercepted a few unfriendly glances from Lauren during lunch, which I didn't understand until we were all walking out of the room together. I was right behind her, just a foot from her slick silver blonde hair, and she was evidently unaware of that. To know why Bella, she sneered my name, doesn't just sit with the Cullens from now on. I heard her muttering to Mike. I had never noticed what an unpleasant, nasal voice she had, and I was surprised by the malice in it. I really didn't know her well at all. Certainly not well enough for her to dislike me, or so I'd thought. She's my friend, she sits with us, Mike whispered back loyally, but also a bit territorially. I paused to let Jess and Angela pass me. I didn't want to hear anymore. That night, at dinner, Charlie seemed enthusiastic about my trip to the push in the morning. I think he felt guilty for leaving me home alone on the weekends, but he had spent too many years building his habits to break them now. Of course, he knew the names of all the kids going, and their parents, and their great-grandparents too, probably. He seemed to approve. I wondered if he would approve of my plan to ride to Seattle with Edward Cullen. Not that I was going to tell him. Dad, do you know a place called Goat Rocks or something like that? I think it's south of Mount Rainier, I asked casually. Yeah? Why? I shrugged. Some kids were talking about camping there. It's not a very good place for camping, he sounded surprised. Too many bears... As people go there during the hunting season. Oh, I murmured. Maybe I got the name wrong. I meant to sleep in, but an unusual brightness woke me. I opened my eyes to see a clear yellow light streaming through my window. I couldn't believe it. I hurried to the window to check, and sure enough, there was the sun. It was in the wrong place in the sky, too low, and it didn't seem to be as close as it should be but it was definitely the sun. Clouds ringed the horizon, but a large patch of blue was visible in the middle. I lingered by the window as long as I could, afraid that if I left, the blue would disappear again. The Newton's Olympic Outfit store was just north of town. I'd seen the store, but I'd never stopped there, not having much need for any supplies required for being outdoors over an extended period of time. In the parking lot, I recognized Mike's Suburban and Tyler's Sentra. As I pulled up next to their vehicles, I could see the group standing around in front of the Suburban. 
Eric was there, along with two other boys I had class with. I was fairly sure their names were Ben and Connor. Jess was there, flanked by Angela and Lauren. Three other girls stood with them, including one I remembered falling over in gym on Friday. That one gave me a dirty look as I got out of the truck and whispered something to Lauren. Lauren shook out her corn silk hair and eyed me scornfully. So it was going to be one of those days. At least Mike was happy to see me. You came, he called, delighted. And I said it would be sunny, didn't I? I told you I was coming, I reminded him. We're just waiting for Lee and Samantha, unless you invited someone, Mike added. Nope, I lied lightly, hoping I wouldn't get caught in the lie, but also wishing that a miracle would occur and Edward would appear. Mike looked satisfied. Will you ride in my car? It's that old Lee's mum's minivan. Sure. He smiled blissfully. It was so easy to make Mike happy. You can have shotgun, he promised. I hid my chagrin. It wasn't as simple to make Mike and Jessica happy at the same time. I could see Jessica glowering at us now. The numbers worked out in my favor, though. Lee brought two extra people. Suddenly, every seat was necessary. I managed to wedge Jess in between Mike and me in the front seat of the Suburban. Mike could have been more graceful about it, but at least Jess seemed appeased. It was only 15 miles to the push from Forks, with gorgeous, dense green forests edging the road most of the way, and the wide river snaking beneath it twice. I was glad I had the window seat. We'd rolled the windows down. The Suburban was a bit claustrophobic with nine people in it, and I tried to absorb as much sunlight as possible. I'd been to the beaches around the push many times during my fork summers with Charlie, so the mile-long crescent of First Beach was familiar to me. It was still breathtaking. The water was dark grey, even in the sunlight, white-capped and heaving to the grey rocky shore. Islands rose out of the steel harbour waters with sheer cliff sides reaching to uneven summits and crowned with austere soaring firs. The beach had only a thin border of actual sand at the water's edge, after which it grew into millions of large, smooth stones that looked uniformly grey from a distance. But close up, where every shade a stone could be, terracotta, sea green, lavender, blue-grey, dull gold. The tide line was strewn with huge driftwood trees, bleached bone white in salt waves, some piled together against the edge of the forest fringe, some lying solitary, just out of reach of the waves. There was a brisk wind coming off the waves, cool and briny. Pelicans floated on the swells while seagulls and a lone eagle wheeled above them. The clouds still circled the sky, threatening to invade at any moment. But for now, the sun shone bravely in its halo of blue sky. We picked our way down to the beach, Mike leading the way to a ring of driftwood logs that had obviously been used for parties like ours before. There was a fire circle already in place, filled with black ashes. 
Eric and the boy I thought was named Ben gathered broken branches of driftwood from the drier piles against the forest edge. Soon, we had a teepee-shaped construction built atop the old cinders. Have you ever seen a driftwood fire? Mike asked me. I was sitting on one of the bone-colored benches. The other girls clustered, gossiping excitedly on either side of me. Mike kneeled by the fire, lighting one of the smallest sticks with a cigarette lighter. No, I said as he placed the blazing twig carefully against the teepee. You'll like this then. Watch the colors. He lit another small branch and laid it alongside the first. The flames started to lick quickly up the dry wood. It's blue, I said in surprise. The salt does it. Pretty, isn't it? He lit one more piece, placed it where the fire hadn't yet caught, and then came to sit by me. Thankfully, Jess was on his other side. She turned to him and claimed his attention. I watched the strange blue and green flames crackle towards the sky. After a half hour of chatter, some of the boys wanted to hike to the nearby tidal pools. It was a dilemma. On the one hand, I loved the tide pools. They had fascinated me since I was a child. They were one of the only things I ever looked forward to when I had to come to Forks. On the other hand, I'd also fallen into them a lot. Not a big deal when you're seven and with your dad. They reminded me of Edward's request that I not fall into the ocean. Lauren was the one who made my decision for me. She didn't want to hike, and she was definitely wearing the wrong shoes for it. Most of the other girls besides Angela and Jessica decided to stay on the beach. I waited until Tyler and Eric had committed to remaining with them before I got up quietly to join the pro-hiking group. Mike gave me a huge smile when he saw I was coming. The hike wasn't too long, though I hated to lose the sky in the woods. The green light of the forest was strangely at odds with the adolescent laughter, too murky and ominous to be in harmony with the light banter around me. I had to watch each step I took very carefully, avoiding roots below and branches above and I soon fell behind. Eventually, I broke through the emerald confines of the forest and found the rocky shore again. It was low tide, and a tidal river flowed past us on its way to the sea. Along its pebbled banks, shallow pools that never completely drained were teeming with life. I was very cautious not to lean too far over the little ocean ponds, the others were fearless, leaping over the rocks and perching precariously on the edges. I found a very stable-looking rock on the fringe of one of the largest pools and sat there cautiously, spellbound by the natural aquarium below me. The bouquets of brilliant anemones undulated ceaselessly in an invisible current. Twisted seashells scurried about the edges obscuring the crabs within them. Starfish stuck motionless to the rocks and each other, while one small black eel with white racing stripes wove through the bright green weeds, waiting for the sea to return. I was completely absorbed, except for one small part of my mind that wondered what Edward was doing now. 
trying to imagine what he would be saying if he were here with me. Finally, the boys were hungry, and I got up stiffly to follow them back. I tried to keep up better this time through the woods, so naturally I fell a few times. The knees of my jeans were stained green, but it could have been worse. When we got back to First Beach, the group we'd left behind had multiplied. As we got closer, we could see the shining straight black hair and copper skin of the newcomers. Teenagers from the reservation come to socialize. The food was already being passed around, and the boys hurried to claim a share, while Eric introduced us as we each entered the driftwood circle. Angela and I were last to arrive, and as Eric said our names, I noticed a younger boy sitting on the stones near the fire glance up at me in interest. I sat down next to Angela, and Mike brought us sandwiches and an array of sodas to choose from while a boy who looked to be the oldest of the visitors rattled off the names of the seven others with him. All I caught was that one of the girls was also named Jessica, and the boy who noticed me was named Jacob. It was relaxing to sit with Angela. She was a restful kind of person to be around. She didn't feel the need to fill every silence with chatter. She left me free to think undisturbed while we ate and I was thinking about how disjointedly time seemed to flow in forks, passing in a blur at times, with single images standing out more clearly than others. And then, at other times, every second was significant, etched in my mind. I knew exactly what caused the difference, and it disturbed me. During lunch, the clouds started to advance, slinking across the blue sky darting in front of the sun momentarily, casting long shadows across the beach and blackening the waves. As they finished eating, people started to drift away in twos and threes. Some walked down to the edge of the waves, trying to skip rocks across the choppy surface. Others were gathering a second expedition to the tide pools. Mike, with Jessica shadowing him, headed up to the one shop in the village. Some of the local kids went with them. Others went along on the hike. By the time they had all scattered, I was sitting alone on my driftwood log, with Lauren and Tyler occupying themselves by the CD player someone had thought to bring. Three teenagers from the reservation perched around the circle, including the boy named Jacob and the oldest boy, who had acted as spokesperson. A few minutes after Angela left with the hikers, Jacob sauntered over to take her place by my side. He looked 14, maybe 15, and had long, glossy black hair pulled back with a rubber band at the nape of his neck. His skin was beautiful, silky, russet-colored. His eyes were dark, set deep above the high planes of his cheekbones. He still had just a hint of childish roundness left around his chin. Altogether a very pretty face. However, my positive opinion of his looks was damaged by the first words out of his mouth. You're Isabella Swan, aren't you? It was like the first day of school all over again. 
Bella, I sighed. I'm Jacob Black. He held his hand out in a friendly gesture. He bought my dad's truck. Oh, I said, relieved, shaking his sleek hand. You're Billy's son. I probably should remember you. No, I'm the youngest of the family. You would remember my older sisters. Rachel and Rebecca, I suddenly recalled. Charlie and Billy had thrown us together a lot during my visits to keep us busy while they fished. We were all too shy to make much progress as friends. Of course, I'd kicked up enough tantrums to end the fishing trips by the time I was eleven. Are they here? I examined the girls at the ocean's edge, wondering if I would recognize them now. No, Jacob shook his head. Rachel got a scholarship to Washington State, and Rebecca married a Samoan surfer. She lives in Hawaii now. Married? Wow. I was stunned. The twins were only a little over a year older than I was. So how do you like the truck? He asked. I love it. Runs great. Yeah, but it's really slow. He laughed. I was so relieved when Charlie bought it. My dad wouldn't let me work on building another car when we had a perfectly good vehicle right there. It's not that slow, I objected. Have you tried to go over 60? No, I admitted. Good. Don't, he grinned. I couldn't help grinning back. It does great in a collision, I offered in my truck's defense. I don't think a tank could take out that old monster, he agreed with another laugh. So you build cars? I asked, impressed. When I have free time, and parts. You wouldn't happen to know where I could get my hands on a master cylinder for a 1986 Volkswagen Rabbit? He added jokingly. He had a pleasant, husky voice. Sorry, I laughed. I haven't seen any lately, but I'll keep my eyes open for you. As if I knew what that was. He was very easy to talk with. He flashed a brilliant smile, looking at me appreciatively in a way that I was learning to recognize. I wasn't the only one who noticed. You know Bella, Jacob? Lauren asked, in what I imagined was an insolent tone from across the fire. We've sort of known each other since I was born, he laughed, smiling at me again. How nice. She didn't sound like she thought it was nice at all. Her pale, fishy eyes narrowed. Bella, she called again, watching my face carefully. I was just saying to Tyler that it was too bad none of the Cullens could come out today. Didn't anyone think to invite them? Her expression of concern was unconvincing. You mean Dr. Carlisle Cullen's family? The tall, older boy asked before I could respond, much to Lauren's irritation. He was really closer to a man than a boy. His voice was very deep. Yes. Do you know them? She asked condescendingly, turning halfway towards him. The Collins don't come here, he said, in a tone that closed the subject, ignoring her question. Tyler, trying to win back her attention, asked Lauren's opinion on a CD he held. She was distracted. I stared at the deep-voiced boy taken aback, but he was looking away, toward the dark forest behind us. He'd said that the Collins didn't come here, but 
His tone had implied something more. That they weren't allowed. They were prohibited. His manner left a strange impression on me, and I tried to ignore it without success. Jacob interrupted my meditation. So is Fawkes driving you insane yet? Oh, I'd say that is an understatement, I grimaced. He grinned understandingly. I was still turning over the brief comment on the Cullens when I had a sudden inspiration. It was a stupid plan, but I didn't have any better ideas. I hoped that young Jacob was as yet inexperienced around girls, so that he wouldn't see through my sure-to-be-pitiful attempts at flirting. Do you want to walk down the beach with me? I asked, trying to imitate the way that Edward had of looking up from underneath his eyelashes. It couldn't have nearly the same effect, I was sure, but Jacob jumped up willingly enough. As we walked north across the multi-hued stones towards the driftwood seawall, the clouds finally closed ranks across the sky, causing the sea to darken and the temperature to drop. I shoved my hands deep into the pockets of my jacket. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep. I hope that you enjoyed this reading. Thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you and good night.